Thanks, as always, for listening to Caleb vs. Self. On this episode, I get a chance to speak with Kevin, an old military buddy of mine. Served with him a long, long time ago, it feels like, at least. We have a lot of fun having this conversation. We talk about GameStop, we talk about XRP, we talk about Ripple. Uh, and towards the end, we talk a little bit about religion, our personal views on it, uh, especially as it stands today. As always, I hope you had a great time listening, and I hope you come back again. Thanks for having on. So we were just talking really briefly about the game stock, or I'm sorry, the game GameStop stock or stocks as they're called. Um, and you were about to go off, but we were talking about that one billionaire who was on CNBC talking about how he cares about the little guy, which is complete and total horseshit. But yeah, they don't they don't care about us as peasants, the the common folk, the proletariat. We are far below their concern, or even I, I think some of them even go out of their way to hurt us financially just to you know fatten their own pockets but it's it's funny how you know when when groups of people tens of thousands hundreds of thousands i don't know how many people apparently there's like 1.5 million people in that following that twitter group that started this yeah when they band together and decide to hurt the hedge funds by over you know extremely overbuying where they have shorted them and here's here's the where the fraud is well, the the first fraud and the first um, illegality that they recognized and called out, there was more shorts than there were actually stocks issued for the company. Mm-hmm. So let's say there was a hundred thousand stocks issued, but there were there was something like a hundred sixty thousand um, short positions open. You can only have one short position per stock, right? You're shorting each each short is a stock. That's how it's well, supposed to work. Well, so here's. Let me hop in on that right there. So I was doing some reading about that. So what you can do and what seems to have happened is people are shorting shorts. So when you, when you take a short position, what you're doing, doing, uh, Kevin is your, so let's say you have a stock that's worth $10. I want to short your stock because I think it's going to be worth five. Okay. What I do is I borrow that stock from you at interest. So I'm going to pay you interest for the time that I hold your stock. And then I turn around and I sell it to somebody else hoping that I can buy it back, let's say in 10 days or 20 days or 30 days at a lower price and then return that stock to you, pay you your interest. And then I keep the difference. So if that stock goes down to $5, I give it back to you. Let's say ultimately I pay you $1 in interest. I give you your stock back. Now I'm holding $4 worth of profit. But here's the thing. If I go to borrow that stock and I sell it to somebody else and then they in turn loan it to somebody else who is going to short it, Right. That's how you can short the shorts. Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah. And, and it could just be cyclical, which is why you end up in a position where GameStop was shorted 138% of its shares, I believe. Okay. So it's, yeah. Yeah. It was something like that. It's, so it's that one scene from, um, at the poker table from the big short. You've seen that movie, yes. right? That yes. scene. I forget what it's yep. called, but okay. With Selena that, Gomez. It's just the blackjack. Yeah. 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 It, it's, it's the insanity of the who who sh- okay shorting in and of itself is super dangerous like it's high super high risk yeah if you take a long position on a stock or a crypto or any asset for that matter the o- you the only money you can lose is the money you put in like that asset could go to yeah. zero and you lose all your money if you short right. something the amount of money you c- you could lose is is infinite like it could go to whatever and then you owe x times whatever like the difference, it's, it's, oh, yeah, these people are insane. They really are like, 
playing the in my opinion, what I think is happening is the system is breaking. It's been broken since 2008, and it's been held together by, you know, duct tape and super glue, barely. Zero <laughs> percent interest rates. Yeah. Well, it's it's nominal. Yeah, it, but realized interest rates is negative because right. you know with with interest or just um, inflation. So the the cracks are showing, and the people are exposing it. And the people at the top are freaking out. I don't know if you heard about how um, there was an insider at Robinhood. Now, who, nobody really knows how credible this is because it happened the day after. But apparently the day that Robinhood was um, limiting trades or just completely shut off trades for the GameStop, mm-hmm. they were getting calls from the White House and the Fed to shut it down. Like, allegedly. Allegedly, exactly. So yeah, add that in there. And and to be completely honest, if if it had kept going, it probably would have destroyed everything, or at least led to something bigger. If they had, um, if the if everybody who held those positions kept holding them and refused to sell at any price, it would have like it would have broken everything. I mean, already two hedge funds had to ask for bailouts, and that's just you know. And now, now, uh, what is it? Um, Robinhood's limiting trades on fifty different other stocks. That means there was fifty different stocks that were over, overshorted. Well, I I don't know that they're actually doing that based off of initial or or exclusively the short position. I think they're literally in the Wall Street bets forums trying to figure out what the fuck else these guys are trying to do well, and trying to limit that damage before it can even occur. Perhaps. Yeah, well, I yes, I I think because it's a little. I think it's a little it's both. Not just Robinhood, by the way, that shut off. Um, trading on those particular stocks, specifically GameStop, there was several other oh oh yeah um, institutions it, that did the same thing. It was like eight or nine of them that yeah. that went off or, or you know limited or stopped because like the next day, Robinhood allowed people to buy stock in GameStop, but only one. They could only buy one. That was it. So when you, I, I think game or uh, I think Robinhood's going out of business for sure. Like they're definitely going to lose their lawsuits. You can't. There was also people who took screenshots of their Robinhood accounts where when they were able to log back in because Robinhood just shut off for a while, they logged back in and Robinhood put in a sell order for their shares for them right. and they couldn't even cancel the order. That's so, so illegal. Like, I want to read you this hypothesis that I saw actually on Wall Street Bets, a username by the name Johnny Daggers here. I just want to read a paragraph to okay, you go for it. and tell me what you think. So. Um, he's making the claim uh, that there's a real reason why Wall Street is actually terrified of this situation that's occurring with GameStop. So here it is. Here's my hypothesis. I think the hedge funds clearing houses in DTC executed a coordinated effort to put GameStop out of business by conspiring to create a gargantuan number of counterfeit shares of GME, possibly 100 to 200% or more of the shares originally issued by GameStop. In the process, they may have accidentally created a bomb that could blow up the entire system as we know it, and we're seeing their efforts to cover this up unfold now. What is that bomb? And this is in bold. I believe retail investors may hold more than 100% of GME. Not just 100% of the float, more than 100% of the actual company. This would be be definitive proof of illegal activity at the highest levels of the financial system. So the claim here is that they're they are actually issuing more shares than actually exist. And because people are holding, they can't buy them back and get them off the books. You have this like negative effect of value. Wow. So, so 
is their claim that hedge funds are issued like somebody other than GameStop is issuing shares in GameStop? Essentially, that's that that's is the claim. There's I, a full there's a full white paper. I'll link to the the podcast if anybody wants to like go into it or read it. But I was going through this and I was like, if this is true, even even relatively true. Not only is that outrageous, but again, we're we're right back into 2008, where these fuckers are creating financial instruments in order to gain this ridiculous amount of wealth, and then leave us the not just the retail investors, but the American public holding the bag when this shit blows up. It's it's essentially fractional reserve stock lending, pretty yes. much. Like it's creating fake stocks out of nowhere. It's basically mm-hmm. just what the banks do with money. Well, the, I think the idea is if you could do that and then buy it back at a lower price, you've just created literally value out of thin air. Yeah. And, yeah. and who loses? The people who are holding that. And mind you, when we talk about these stocks, it's not just retail investors that suffer. It's people who are invested in 401ks and mutual funds and people who are trying to invest for their own retirement 30 years down the road. You are going to lose because of shit like this. Yeah, because every fake – it's essentially – I mean – a counterfeit dollar, which all dollars are counterfeit, but like it, when they print more of them, it devalues all the rest that are already in the market. So yeah, it's it's immediately going to devalue every single other person who's holding it. it it's it's question, criminal. What's that? The question is going to be to me is when it comes to U.S. regulators, who are you going to go to bat for? The hedge funds, the people who are doing this shady shit all the time, or are you going to go bat for go to bat for the retail investor or the people who are doing what we're supposed to do, and that is to save for the future for our own retirements and for our own, you know, edification so we can continue to exist after we retire. Who are you going to go to bat for, U.S. government? Well, I think you you probably already know the answer to that one. But Well, it's interesting because, especially over the last, let's say, 20 years, there's not very, there has not been very many unifying calls across the aisle. Occupy Wall Street didn't do it. The Tea Party movement didn't really do it. You know, there's a lot of different things that have occurred, but it never really unifying. When you have people... Jeffrey Epstein did. Jeffrey Epstein arguably did not because nothing came of it. Well, no, no, nothing happened, but everybody everywhere didn't believe the official story. That's that's well, my sure. It, sure. it brought people. But... It, it brought people in the most politicized time in this country who hate each other together mm-hmm. for one minute. And they all agreed on something that but, that, okay. that is somewhat important. It, it is. I, I can't I can't really argue with that. But what actually ended up coming of it was not a whole lot, because at the end of the day, people like you and me, you and I don't really give a fuck about some guy who's an asshole piece of shit that kills himself allegedly in prison. Like, we don't care about that. That doesn't impact me. Well, the only thing me and you probably would have cared about is that the people who he had been blackmailing also go to prison for doing the That's things fair. they did on his island. But that's fair, but those are typically things and situations that don't have a direct, or I should say, a perceived direct impact on me. They do, but in my everyday life, when I wake up and go to work and take care of my kids, that doesn't matter to me. Well, this, well, on the other hand, oh, go go ahead. It, it it actually kind of does. I mean, granted, we were fairly young when he was doing this, but he was in Wall Street, so you know, this dude was robbing people left and right. I mean, he he ran a hedge fund, like correct. Jeff Epstein ran a hedge fund, so I mean. You know, he screwed people over left and right. It's not like what he did didn't directly affect us. Granted, we were kids when he was doing it, but yeah, I mean, I've heard um, um, who is it, Brett? I can't remember if it's Brett or Eric Weinstein. I don't know if you're familiar with either of those guys, but 
one of them works for Peter Thiel and has spent a ton of time in that industry, the hedge fund industry, the angel investing, you know, all that type of stuff. And he's, uh-huh. he talks about on his podcast how he had dinner with Epstein one time, like 15 years ago. And he was like, I remember walking away from that conversation being like, this guy isn't actually a hedge fund manager. Like, he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. He has no <laughs> idea what he's doing. I have no idea how he got this wealth. And he speculates that, like, essentially that wealth that he has gotten from these people that he's blackmailing, the best way to cover it up, quote unquote, is just to say you run a hedge fund. And exactly. Make yeah. Fucking, you know. Well, so. Um, go ahead. I think he's Mossad, personally, but. I don't even think he's an American. Well, he, he might have been an American at one point in time, but he was an Assad agent. And that's who he was working for, and that's who he was getting blackmail on everybody around the world for. Okay, so... Really, that's just my opinion of it. I don't I don't have anything to back that up other than... I mean, he does have contacts in Israel, or he did. Sure. He was, you know, in theory, still alive. We're gonna, we're gonna open up a whole other fucking... Pandora's box of stuff that we could talk about. When it yeah, comes but to let's, let's get back to the main topic. I'm going to stay back to GameStop. The thing that I'm seeing with GameStop is that this has a much more direct impact on the American everyday people. And because of it, we'll really see you know, what these politicians are actually all about. I think that you're probably leaning towards the idea that they don't give a fuck about the retail investor or the everyday person, and they're going to do something to protect hedge funds, but I don't know. There, there, there seems to be a bit of a changing of the guard. If Ted Cruz is tweeting about AOC, granted she's you know saying go fuck yourself for yeah. lack of a better word. You, her, well, that's her, a huge deal though to me. Her if, exact if words like, were, "You literally just tried to have me <laughs> killed two weeks ago." <laughs> yes. yes, those were her exact words. But you even have people like uh, Ben Shapiro, who tends to be a, a, a right type of person, who's saying, "Hey, man, this isn't free market. You guys are fucking around. You got caught with your pants down." And now you're trying to stop everybody from continuing to leverage their position against you and you shut down the market. This is not what we as the right or Republicans believe in. Like, this isn't free market anymore. Yeah, but I I don't I don't see much difference between the right and the left personally. Like, I don't I don't when they can call themselves conservative all they want, but they're not like, look how much money has been printed and spent in the last and during the Trump administration. So, I mean. You could say all you want that that you're physically conservative, but we just printed like 28% of the dollars ever created in the entire world in one year. So, so yeah. So they may call themselves that, but realistically, their actions speak louder than words. Exactly. Actually, here, I'll, 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 I'm paraphrasing this, but I remember um, reading a study. I don't remember where. It was some big name university. Uh, I wish I had it in front of me, but. They did a. They basically took all, and this was done like two year, two or three years ago. They took all of the issues, the hot button issues, basically in American politics, and they went through and they looked at like what percentage chance all of these things would, um, like basically all the bills that were in Congress at the time, and what they found out was, in a, in a direct democracy or republic where you elect your officials, you would you would imagine that if fifty percent of the population want a bill to pass and something to become law, then it would have a 50% chance, right? Because 50% of the politicians who represent them would would advocate for it and the other 50% wouldn't. So you would have a 50-50 shot of it passing, correct? It would, it would work something around there. Now, sure. what they, they found out was if 0% of the American people wanted something to pass, do you know what the percentage that it would pass actually would occur would be? About zero. Or no, sorry, about 30%. 
Now, if 100% of Americans wanted something to pass, it would be about the same, about 30%. So the American, the, the Congress, they don't care one way or the other what we think. Now, on the flip side, if lobbyists and you know corporate hedge funds and big money and, co- and corporations come in and they start lobbying for something to pass, you know what the, the probability of it being able to pass will be? About 80%. So these people don't care about anything about us. They don't care about us whatsoever. And the people who pay for their campaigns are the ones that they advocate for. So I don't, so, so this is, I'm ranting a little bit, but this is what, where I see, or what I see happening. There's cracks in the system. It's going to break eventually. This system's going to go away and we're going to go to an entirely digital blockchain based financial system. I don't know what crypto is going to be used as the main thing. I believe it'll be XRP, but I don't, I don't know that for a fact. Um, and they're going to do everything they can to keep the system and to keep the corruption hidden as long as possible until it does break and they can't hide it any longer. And we go to the new system. And that that time period might be very painful for people who aren't properly positioned to be able to handle that. But um, I don't know how much longer they're going to keep it going because it should have died in 2008 and it's still going. So. Right. I, I, I don't, I've stopped underestimating the banks and how long they can keep this pump, this <laughs> fake bullshit gill going, you know? Right. Well, let's talk about XRP because that's something that you're into. Um, right now, at least as it stands, uh, what, a month ago, month and some change ago, the SEC filed a lawsuit against Ripple. Um, and that is seemingly having an impact on um, XRP as far as the, the value of it. And there seems to be arguments for and against whether or not XRP is going to survive this lawsuit. So let me roll this back a little bit and let's talk about XRP as it is standalone. Can you just kind of, you know, briefly explain what it is and, and the purpose behind it? Okay. So XRP, um, currently it's number three, uh, in market cap cryptocurrency. It is, vastly different than most other ones so there's basically three main classes of uh crypt i guess it's crypto it's it's the way of creating more of it what's that oh okay gotcha it's it's the cryptography is the way that they that the code is written but i i'm not a computer expert i'm not a computer science major so i don't know the the ins and outs of this but there's bitcoin there's bitcoin and ethereum right now so i'll just use those as a main um example they're proof of work so essentially they're mined into existence when you send a transaction the 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 like let's say fifty thousand transactions will all get pooled into a block and then miners will try to find the the answer to what the code is basically it's a massively gigantic complex math problem and you have billions and billions or maybe not billions but definitely millions of computers working on it trying to solve it and if they solve it they get rewarded by solving that new block that gets added to the blockchain and then they get x amount of bitcoin per block and same with ethereum there's also proof of stake so proof of stake concept is essentially i'm not an expert on this one but it's pretty much you get rewarded for staking assets on the thing so let's say 100 percent of ethereum is already out in, in in the market Okay. 60% of it gets staked by users. It it basically frees up computer power, computer um or computing power in the system, so then you get rewarded for staking. I'm not that's like 
very basic, and I'm not an expert on the staking form. Now, where XRP is more of an expert, where I'm more of an expert on, it's basically a node-based system. So there's trusted nodes. Like, for example, um, the SEC runs a node on the XRP network. There's mm -hmm. like 120 nodes right now. Um, the Central Bank of England runs one. Obviously, Ripple runs one. Runs one. A bunch of major banks around the country, or around the world run them. And their main selling point for XRP is one, it's faster and it's cheaper, and it costs almost no electricity. You can run a, a node of, of XRP on the XRP network for about $25 a month in electricity costs. Really? Now, yeah. Compare that. No, and anybody could do that. I could go buy it right now. I don't know how much it would cost to like for the for the node itself, like what kind of computer you would have to buy for that. Right. But the actual electrical cost is 25 bucks a month. So it's nothing compared to Bitcoin. It's, I mean, Bitcoin's like the 13th highest country consuming electricity in the world or something like that. Like yeah. if you're talking about, like, I don't believe in global warming, but in comparison, Bitcoin, if you, if that is a concern of you, XRP is like 20,000%, you know, cheaper in terms of uh, electrical output. But the node system, the reason that it works so much more efficiently is where in Bitcoin, you have to get confirmed by I think it's nine or 11 different nodes to mm -hmm. confirm the um, transaction before it actually goes through, before that block gets mined. Okay. Um, XRP, it's like three. And here's the thing. Now, people say XRP is less secure. For one, there hasn't been a single, not a single transaction on the entire you know, history of the XRP ledger that there has been like a double spend or a fraudulent transaction made because the, the reason it, it, it's put in there is if one node goes out of sync with all the other nodes and decides to try to do a fraudulent transaction, one, all the other nodes wouldn't verify it. And two, that node would be cut off of the system forever. If it ever, no, it's nobody's ever tried to do that, obviously. Like, you know, Goldman Sachs, who I, I'm just using them as an example. I don't think they have a node on X, on XRP, but if they did, what benefit would that be for them to try to steal like a billion dollars? It's one, it's not going to work. And two, they'll be forever exercised from the network and never be able to use it again. So it, it's, it's extremely secure. And where and I remember in 2017, when Bitcoin was, you know, reaching that $20,000 level, man, people were waiting upwards of at one point, 12 hours for a transaction to go through. It was insane. And it was like $50 transaction fees where XRP is a fraction of a penny and three to five seconds. There's no comparison whatsoever. It's, 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 it's like comparing a Model T to like an X-Wing. Like it, they're not even in the same... <laughs> not even the same you know universe like so so it sounds like it's more efficient it's just as secure um the difference here though is that it seems that and and you and i were talking before we started recording that xrp is not necessarily geared towards the individual it's more geared towards allowing banks to to make more efficient transactions uh the movement of money throughout the world seems to be its core focus is exactly that right? exactly so their main uh, their main kind of like um, real world usage right now is with MoneyGram. So MoneyGram, 
Their main corridor that they use XRP in is between the United States and Mexico. So obviously a lot of people from a lot of Mexicans live in the United States and work here and then send money back to their family. Mm-hmm. Well, if MoneyGram can do that, if, if you go to Western Union, it's probably going to, you know, you send 500 bucks back to Mexico. It'll probably cost you 25 bucks, maybe uh, 15, 15, 20 bucks, something like that. I don't know. It, it's been a while since I've sent money like that, but. Sure. It's it's going to be it's not going to be a fraction of a penny. Let's put it that way. Um, now, MoneyGram could charge you two dollars or three dollars, and it would cost them a fraction of a penny, maybe maybe a little bit more than that, because they still have to do the back end stuff with the banks, you know. But the actual time, like if you do a money, if you do an actual wire transfer, it's going to take three to five business days. Um. It, it might go through. There's like a, a three to 5% chance that it just won't go through because the SWIFT system is so inefficient and shitty and 70 years old, by the way. Why we're still using a 70-year-old system to run the entire financial worldwide system is insane, but you know we are. Um, so imagine if you're, you're, you're obviously not a very wealthy person. I mean, you, you have people who come to this place. You're not making that much money. You want your money to go as far as you can go, so I'm not going to spend you know 20 bucks to go to Western Union when I can go to MoneyGram, and it be there that day, and it cost you know five six times less because MoneyGram is using a way better technology. Oh, and it'll it'll be there in seconds, you know, or it has the potential to be right if MoneyGram is efficient enough. So but, the uh, biggest thing is that it's the level of efficiency that occurs and how cheaply that you can move money. So if I'm exactly. doing it traditional style through a wire transfer, if I have to tell my bank to reach out to an international bank to then transfer money to a bank in, you know, uh, we'll just use this case, right? Mexico. Kevin, you're in Mexico. I'm in the United States. I'm trying to send you money. I've got to go through three different banks in order to verify that A, that I have the money, B, that it's moving to the correct account and C, that we're going to the right person. So each bank in and of itself typically has like a 72 hour process that they have to go through and validate um, all the information, make sure the funds are there and that it's moving, moved properly. So 72 hours on top of them trying to work with a third party bank to, to do this international transaction, they're going to take 72 hours on top of, right. Or, or in conjunction with on top of your bank in Mexico where you're there and I'm trying to send you 500 bucks or a thousand bucks. And through each one of those steps, each bank has their own sets of, of fees and, and process transaction fees and all sorts of other stuff that have to be added to it. So when everything's said and done for a wire transfer, you're paying, you know, a hundred bucks or whatever it might end up being, as opposed to using XRP, going to someone like MoneyGram, XRP is only tra- charging them fractions of a cent on top of the, the transfer itself. And the only thing MoneyGram has to do is just validate that my bank and Kevin's bank are good to go. Exactly. Well, and and there's also one extra layer of friction too because you have okay. to swap dollars for pesos. So oh, that's right, the currency. Exactly. Yeah. So that's another thing that the bank is going to charge you on for sure. Now, now think about it like this. All right. So I have Bank of America, right? I know Bank of America more well, more likely than not, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm assuming they probably have branches in Mexico. Even if they don't, they have partner banks there. Mm. Um now Let's say I have family in Mexico or I've, you know, I'm trying to send money to Mexico. I go to Bank of America and I tell them I want to wire, I want to wire, you know, $300 from here to, you know, my, I don't know, cousin's bank account in Mexico City. Sure. Um, Bank of America 
is going to what what they do currently is called Nostra Vostra accounts. So they'll have an account set up with their American branch and their Mexican branch, and they'll have dollars in one and pesos in the other, and they'll have those accounts just sitting there full of money, right? And they'll have enough money to cover like three or four times the daily volume between wire transfers, but between all their customers between the United States and Mexico, right? Okay. Now imagine imagine that. The only, they have to keep that money there because if they don't, if that money isn't sitting there ready to be transferred, then they can't meet their customer's request, right? So right. I want you to think about that for a second. That means there are trillions, trillions upon like The highest estimate that I've seen is $27 trillion, roughly, in Nostra Vostra accounts. And that's just money sitting in banks' accounts simply for what I just said. Um to be allocated in different countries to be used for wire transfers. Now, what if you could replace all of that money and you could free up, you know, provide $27 trillion worth of liquidity to the world financial system because they wouldn't have to have that money sitting in accounts anymore. Because you could immediately, if instead of holding that um, dollars there or whatever, you know, hundreds of different currencies, you could just have XRP. Now, all you would have to do is have Bank of America and the American branch and Bank of America, the Mexican branch or their partner bank in Mexico, all they would have to do is send $300 worth of XRP to the Mexican branch, immediately convert it back into pesos, which doesn't mean it doesn't cost anything. And there you go. Like it, it not only does it free up liquidity, but it may, it, it, it breaks up like six or seven different resistances in what was originally the old system. So it's, it's so it, it's so efficient. I think that everybody knows that's what we're going to go to. Well, all the people in the know know it's that's what we're going to go to. It just hasn't happened yet because it's going to it's going to hurt people. It's going to yeah. be a chaotic time when it does go to that. So part of part of this whole thing as well, if I'm not mistaken, right now at least, today, present day, is this lawsuit, this SEC lawsuit against Ripple and its founder and co-founder. And the case that they're making is that Ripple, through XRP, has been essentially selling unlicensed securities. And that's what the argument is right now. Um, If I'm not mistaken, yes. So they're using the Howey test. It's it's four questions that the Supreme Court... um, figured out how to identify something that is a security. Uh, The four things are, one, it's an investment of money. Two, there's expectation of profits from the investment. Three, the investment of money is in a common enterprise. And four, any profit that comes from the efforts of a promoter or third party. So the SEC is saying that, in fact, XRP is not a digital currency. It is, in fact, a security, which opens them up to a lot of fines and liabilities and you know, who knows what. And because of this SEC lawsuit, if I'm not mistaken, uh, a lot of different digital currency marketplaces have actually removed XRP from their platform. Um, I don't know about removed. They've stopped trading. Okay. I, I'm sure. Enough. Well, it, it, let me back up. I, I'm sure some have. I, The ones that I pay attention to and the ones that I use on a regular basis, well, I don't, I'm not going to use them anymore because they did do this. Anybody who limits my you know, ability to interact with the free market, I'm never going to use again, but they've just stopped trading. So you could hold it there. You just can't buy or sell it. So at this point, and and I've seen arguments for and against it, it seems that most likely 
this is going to not work and end up being considered a digital currency? I I don't know what is going to happen um, with this lawsuit. I would like that to happen, but I don't. You see, here's the thing. I'm not that concerned about it one way or the other. I think that even if it is declared a security, it's not going to matter in the lo- in the long run. It will perhaps delay um, its increase in price, but I'm not concerned about it one way or the other because I see the, the utility that is in there in that asset is so vastly profound what it's going to do to the financial system. I don't care what they call it. It's going to change everything. Like it's, it, it, well, I think it, there's a difference. If it's considered a security, you won't be able to use it like a digital coin. That's the issue. Uh, That's what, know, at least from what I'm reading, from what I'm seeing, that seems to be like the, I don't the quote I, unquote the fear, if you will. I, I don't know. Um, I'll take your word on it. I don't. I don't. I haven't heard that one yet, so I don't know. But um, okay. I think. <sighs> Damn, I just had a thought. I I lost it though. No, that's all right. That's all right. (laughs) So with all of that, another thing that occurs, um, of course, everyone wants to bet for or against whether or not the SEC is going to work out. And it seems to, along with GameStop shorts, has driven the the price of XRP literally in the last two to three days, like, I don't know, 30, 40%. It's gone from 27 cents to 45 cents in a matter of a couple of days. Yeah. And, so there uh, seems to be a potential uh, pump and dump that's occurring on XRP right now as well. So from one of the videos that I'd watched, it looks like people are talking about uh, eight thirty dumping it. Eight thirty? No, 830 they, no, they're talking about pump, trying to pump it at eight thirty. So pump it? Okay. Yeah, right, I got it backwards. Um, I, I'm kind of questionable on this because I don't really. But pump and dumps are basically just for rich people. Like I don't. I mean, don't get me wrong. If it goes up an insanely high amount, like parabolic, I'm taking profit for sure. But I'm not going to like participate in it and like to go tell people to go buy XRP at AM because it's not healthy for the market to just pump something no. artificially yeah, like that. That level of volatility is well, that, for everybody. Yeah, but that's kind of the run of the mill for the crypto space. So the volatility doesn't bother me. It's more of just the fact that, look, XRP doesn't need. XRP and Ripple, they don't need artificial pumps to be the best financial asset in the world because they already are. Like you don't, you, the utility behind that asset and what they're building and what it's going to do, it's it's going to increase the price. It's so they don't. I, I don't know. I think I think it it really just stems from the XRP community just being stepped on for years, and we all see how much better it is than pretty much any other digital asset out there. Yet, and and that's one of the theories is that it's artificially manipulated. Obviously, every market is is manipulated, but XRP in particular is kept low for whatever reason for a very long time, so that people I don't know can get in for longer, or it's to manipulate people into thinking this really isn't the future and go away, get scared, get out of the market. Right. I don't okay. I don't know why that somebody would want to do that, but. People people manipulate markets for, well, I guess what what, what, do you, what do I mean? I don't know why it's to make money, obviously, but uh, yeah, I I see the future in it, and I'm not gonna be. I'll probably hold XRP my entire life, 
Sure. Um, unless, you know, something catastrophic well, we talked, happens. Well, we talked like six months ago, maybe. And you oh, were talking God. about XRP then too, you know, uh, which I'm, I'm unfortunate I didn't take your advice. But either way, neither here nor there. I, I still um, think 45 cents, in my opinion, from where I think it's going to go is still low. If I had cash on the side right now, I'd be buying. Really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But I don't, I, I, I don't have any extra cash right now. So. Right, right. The whole digital currency space seems to be, like you said, there's a lot of volatility. It's pretty normal. How is it that you, like if you were to talk to somebody, which I know you did not too long ago, and say, hey, you know, digital currency or XRP or this whole space is worth looking into, what is it that you like so much about it? Is it the fact that for the most part it's decentralized? The fact that, you know, it's it's harder to to fake and uh, create like like we do with the dollar and all other sorts of currencies where we just continue to print regardless of well I shouldn't say regardless but uh, well, it seems to be in excess or what is it that draws you towards this type of stuff this cryptocurrency space? So I know you remember that day that I walked into the conference room. I'm gonna I'm gonna go do the wayback machine and go bring us back let's, to our army days. You remember that day? That I walked into the conference room when all the E5, everybody E5 and below was in there. We were all hanging out, bullshit and whatever. Mm-hmm. And it was right when we got back from um, holiday leave from our last deployment. Mm-hmm. And I slammed my fist on the table. I was like, hey, everybody needs to listen up. The government's corrupt. And I just went into my spiel, right? And you were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you and Bennett pulled me to the side and you were like, hey, it's just one, li-, you know, and you tried to talk me. I was like, no, you guys need to. You guys need to come up here into my barracks room. I'm going to show you some things. And then we, we went down the rabbit hole, right? So, okay. So, okay. I, I had a point to this. What was the question again? I forget. I have Why you're into this digital space, digital okay. currency, cryptocurrency space. So when, when, when I woke up to how corrupt everything was, it was because of 2008. Now, granted, I didn't find out about that till 2012. But when I started looking into it, everything, I was like, man, this whole financial system is broken. Everything's broken and it doesn't work, and they're just they're just pretending like it's still working, but it's not. So when I discovered Bitcoin a few years later, I was like, "Holy crap! This could destroy the entire system. This could like this is real money. Like there's actual value in this, in in comparison to, and nobody controls it, right? It was made by some digital, you know, some anonymous either person, Satoshi Nakamoto, or group of people nobody knows who created bitcoin there are theories out there but i don't know i don't think anybody really knows except for satoshi himself or herself or themselves or whoever but uh, right right um that's the reason i originally got into it and then the more i the more i researched and i love history and economics and stuff like that and i just realized like i don't want to work anymore and i just want to be rich so that was another reason. Because I mean, I, I feel like everybody wants that. Well, I I know, but it, there's very few times where humans have the opportunity to live where there is going to be a a huge transfer of wealth, a massive transfer of wealth into a new system. And the the opportunity to take advantage of that is few and far between. I mean, you're lucky if it happens in your lifetime. So Yeah. And we, we are lucky enough that, I mean, I, I shouldn't count my eggs before they hatch because who a kn- hundred years from now, these bankers could still be on the fiat system for all I know. But I, I highly doubt that. But, you know, 
Well, during that rant, what you were saying before is, you know, you're surprised as to how they've been able to keep it together so far. Because, I mean, I think we were all convinced, or a lot of people, that in 2008, this was this was it. This is the end. It it we were about 30 minutes away from it being the end. Yeah, and they pulled it out of their ass and managed to, you know, patch things up for a while. Um, well, one of the, one of the things that I had said to I was talking to my brothers about this not too long ago, and one argument that I've made is, well, why in the bailout process didn't we just bail out everybody that has a home that has paid their mortgage, like on time, relatively speaking? We should just bail those people out. That way, they own their homes and they keep going to work. And what I didn't realize is that that had people owning their homes or not owning their homes has nothing to do with whether or not the entire banking system collapses on top of itself. So even no. if you did outright own your home after the fact, if you didn't have a job, that wasn't going to be very helpful either. <laughs> Not trying to advocate for what they did, but essentially I, I understand a little bit more about the thought process of, of who was it, Hank Paulson and Ben Bernanke trying to do what they can to well, prop I, up this crazy market. Yeah, I, I understand what they did too, and they did what they had to do. However, they didn't yeah. fix anything. Like the only the only way to fix this is to throw people in prison. And I mean every single person who was even remotely involved in it. If you were involved with stealing money, you should go to prison. And then people won't do it anymore. It's, yeah, it's that I, simple. The problem with – so, I mean, obviously you're familiar with with The Big Short. And uh, I'm a big fan of a book written uh, called Too Big to Fail. Um, and it really goes down into the background scenes of what happened and you know what was occurring. And I think part of the issue is – and it really illustrated it in The Big Short – is that conversation that, um, uh, shoot, what's his name? Steve Carell. I don't, I don't remember the character's name in, yeah. in the movie, but Steve Carell sitting in that sushi restaurant with a CDO manager. Yeah, yeah. But here's the issue is that there's not enough people that actually understood what actually happened and how it got to this point to a degree where you could point to people and say, you should be thrown in jail. That, well, was, that was part of the issue. Like the I'll- legality surrounding what occurred there weren't any necessarily laws per se, but we could point to it and say, this was a shitty thing to do. You should be in jail. That, that's what true. crime did they commit specifically? And that's part of the issue. Like we, since then there hasn't been, okay, if you do this, you go to jail. Well, we still don't have that. No, no. Well, part, part of the issue is that every time that something that was previously illegal, when they want to do it, they just make it legal. So like, um, Stock, uh, companies Black. buying back their stocks that used to be illegal to do now it's legal like there, right. there's plenty of things that wall street does today who 10 20 30 40 50 years ago was extremely illegal and was thought to have never been like if you had told somebody 30 years ago that they would be doing this on wall street they would have told you it's insane it's going to blow up well duh like everybody knows that it i shouldn't say that everybody with common sense knows that it's going to go down eventually the whole system's going to blow up it's just when and how bad, and what's next. That should be the yeah. that should be the and, most pertinent question. And how do we get? And that's there? really where you're hovering, and that's what's gotten you into cryptocurrency, and more specifically towards XRP because of your confidence in what it actually does on a day to day basis, as opposed to being a decentralized cryptocurrency. It well, it is decentralized, and the, now a lot of a lot of people will say XRP is one of the most centralized cryptocurrencies because there's only 120 nodes out there, and right. You know, Bitcoin's super decentralized because there's hundreds of thousands of nodes and computers all plugging into the. Com- well, that's cute, except for like 63% of those computers are in China. China is an authoritarian communist regime 
that if they wanted to, could destroy Bitcoin three seconds from now. Like, and Ethereum for that matter. Until Ethereum goes to 2.0 and goes to proof of stake, they could crush number one and number two in a heartbeat. And that leaves, as far as market cap, that leaves Tether, XRP, and Polkadot as the next three. Yeah, I, I don't, well, that's the thing. China's not going to do that. I'm, I'm not sure. saying that they're going to do that. They're making insane amounts of money, of free money off taxing Bitcoin and Ethereum miners. So why would they do that, right? But I, I'm just saying they could. And I don't want to put my future in a country that literally has internment camps and harvest people for organs. Like... I'm not going to put my trust in that in yeah. any way, shape, or form. So that's why I don't, I'm not going to touch Bitcoin or Ethereum for that matter. Well, that's why I don't touch them anymore. Right, right. Which is what led you essentially to XRP at this point. I mean, when you, like, like I said, I probably mentioned this to you before. When you see the CEO of the company, of Ripple, Brad Garlinghouse, on stage at, um, you know, the World Economic Forum with Christine Lagarde, the head of the, the European Central Bank, the head of the BIS, the head of the Federal Reserve, the head of, like, I, I don't need any more proof than that that it's going somewhere. Like, you got, there's one dude from a private company up there with every single major banker in the world. I don't, what, what, what do you think this is going? You think it's going to go to zero? Come on. Like, sure. It's all the money. That, 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 you know what? That's the best quote I've ever heard from a Ripple employee. He, he said, uh, I think it was Ashish Birla. Um, I could be, I could be mistaken, but there, there was a, he was given a, um, a talk somewhere at a conference and he was like, look, Ripple is going after all the money. We're either going to, we're going after all of the money transfers in the entire world. So we're either going to have at hand and touching every single, you know, interaction that happens in this world. Or we're gonna, or we're gonna get nothing. It's a hundred or zero. And when I hear somebody who is so confident saying we're going after all the money, I want all the money too. So I'm, I'm putting my, I'm putting all my money there. Right. And I know that's extremely risky, and I don't really care. I'm, I'm, <laughs> dude, all in. Go well, big or go home. Clear. To be clear, neither of neither of us are financial analysts. We oh, do not offer not. any advice or anything as far as money goes but hey, i get it i mean I, I get it this is the way i see it i'm either i'm either going to be rolling up and visiting you in an earth roamer or i'm going to be rolling up and visiting you on my feet one of the two <laughs> <laughs> well let's talk about that let's talk about if you hit it big what happens when you cash out and you're worth six seven figures oh. i should re let me rephrase seven or eight maybe nine figures who knows i mean if if what I think is hap is going to happen happens, the price of XRP, mm -hmm. if it does capture even five or ten percent of you know traditional markets, i.e., stock, because you here, here's another um, the interoperability of XRP. You can put other assets on the XRP ledger. So, for example, um, do you own your house? No, no, it's mortgaged. Okay, but you okay, but you you bought it. Well, um, yes, yes. Uh, you're not renting is what I was saying. So yes, correct. What, let's say, let's say, um, I'm just going to throw numbers out there. Let's say you have $30,000 of equity built up in your house, right? Okay. And I'm just going to use round numbers because it's easier. And 30, and let's say your house is $300,000. Okay. 
So you okay. have 10% of your house, of the equity in your house paid off, right? It's yours to play with if you wanted to. Yep. What if you wanted to re- refinance your house, but you didn't want to do it through a bank? So let's say you wanted to digitize your house. What if you did 10 shares of your house and you broke your house up, you know, the equity of your house, you took that loan essentially, and you wanted to take one-tenth of that and sell it off or, or you know, one one-hundredth of it, you know what I mean? What if you could digitize? You see what I'm saying? You could do that with stocks. You could do that with real estate. Does that make sense? What if? So, so if I go to refinance my house, what you're saying is that through XRP, there would potentially be the ability for me to sell the mortgage of my home or refinance it so that people through the XRP ledger would be the loan holder, if you will. And when I make my mortgage payment, it would go to those people who own shares of my home. Okay. So this is getting a little bit more complicated. Um, okay. I, the, the point I was making is that you could just put extra assets on the XRP ledger. So you could transfer out. So you could, you could put stocks on there. You could put bonds on there. You could put anything you want. So what I'm saying is like, there could be a digital version of your house on the ledger. And that would represent, that would basically be like, okay, I, I have a better um, idea. So okay. it would essentially be like the pink slip of your car. Imagine owning a 10th of a pink slip of a car. Okay. So what if you could break up your car into 10th mm-hmm. and you could, and you could use the equity built up in that and use it on the open market, but still own your asset. Does that make sense? But somebody else would. So like, what if you wanted an apartment complex, but you obviously can't afford to pay a million and a half dollars for an apartment complex, but okay you and 30 other people could and now you you see what i'm saying so it would it could just make it could remove third parties outright not outright but it could remove some of the the friction in the financial system because you could imagine not having to go to fidelity to buy stocks or imagine not having to go to any kind of um custodial like management um group like that imagine just going somewhere and just buying it digitally, putting it on a thumb drive and just having 20 GameStop stops stocks like yourself holding so, them. Does that so make sense? You're, you're removing the hurdles and obstacles in which people can trade assets or funds. It, essentially kind of like what Robinhood did, right? They removed a lot of the fees associated. Now, granted, they're making that money by selling that data to Wall Street quite exactly. literally. But but what they're doing and the whole idea behind it originally was to remove the amount of fees and remove the obstacles for people to enter said market. Exactly. And then and then what happened? They're blowing <laughs> up the fucking market. So to make to make a case for XRP, if they're able to even do that remotely successfully, yeah, the markets would explode, right? Like there would be that calamity that you're talking about that transfer of wealth would probably occur if XRP did something or was able to do something similar to what uh, Robin Hood essentially did. Yeah. Just um, at a very small level. Exactly. Just, just um, with one stock. And look at all the craziness that's happened just because of one stock. Well, it wasn't just the one. They did hit multiple ones. Uh, GameStop is the one that made the most news because it had the most percentage gain, but it was, uh, well, it was also Nokia. Nokia. It was yeah. um, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. Bed Bath and Beyond, BlackBerry was yeah, another BlackBerry, one. Yeah, BlackBerry. Yeah, uh, there's it, a couple, but 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 for the memes, if you will, right? Yeah. GameStop is really what I'm pointing to, saying when you remove all these obstacles from the everyday person being able to enter the market, 
that's that's the potential that XRP has on not just stocks but just about everything. That's that's what I'm hearing. That's the potential for XRP. Yeah, I mean it it really can it really can absorb all the wealth in the world because you can put anything you want on it. So it, it, that's why I say like I don't know what the price will be, but it it really is limitless because it it potentially could absorb everything. Correct me if I'm wrong. As far as XRP is concerned, you can't create more XRP no. like you do with Bitcoin, right? No. Well, Bitcoin is is the same thing. Bitcoin is limited at 21 million, but you oh, okay. still have to mine it. So to to create more of them, up to 21 million, um, that's how their new ones are created. All of the XRP that there's a hundred billion XRP, and there'll never be any more than that, and they're right. already created. Right. So yeah, there is a supply limit, just like with Bitcoin. It's just there's obviously a hell of a lot more of them than Bitcoin. And it's interesting because when you talk about that supply limit, whether it's Bitcoin apparently or whether it's XRP, that's the difference to me that I see between that and fiat currency that we have today, right? I mean, I can just keep printing dollars. Yeah, there there is a hard limit. So even when central banks come out and they, they're called CBDCs, and they're already talking about that. Many of them are already developing them. In my opinion, they probably already are ready to roll them out. They just, they're going to keep Timing. printing, you know, fake fiat money for as long as they can and keep inflating the system. But they probably are ready to roll it out right now. Um, but when they do roll them out, that's not going to create anything. You think that the the Federal Reserve or the the, you know, the United States digital dollar or the Chinese digital yuan or the, or the, the digital uh, bureau, do you think that that's going to stop them just printing money? If anything, it'll just make it easier. So yeah, it would be keystrokes instead of instead of printing machines, well, right? It's basically already keystrokes now, but it it's just we still it, print physical dollars, though. E, right? Not very many, but sure. It's, okay, what is it like nine nine or ten percent of all dollars are are physical, and the rest are all digital, something like that? Yeah, that's a good point. But I mean, you're right. They do. They do still print. It's just not very much in comparison to how much they just, you know, like like a three trillion stimulus package. How many? How much of that is actually printed? Not a lot. Not very much. <laughs> it's just, right. you know, the the bond itself is printed. I'm sure and held by a bank somewhere. But the I, to me, the whole thing is crazy and. If you let me ask you this, if is there a direction that you would point people into if they are interested in learning more about XRP or Ripple or any of this stuff? Is there like someone that you follow or or a you know somewhere that people could go to get more info? Okay, so if you're specifically talking about XRP, I would say on YouTube Kevin Cage, and then Digital Asset Investor. Wait, no. Yeah, digital asset investor. And then hold on. Do I have YouTube open? I don't mean to put you on the spot. Oh, it's, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, those two, and I like both of them because, well, digital asset investor, he was an old, um, was it Goldman Sachs? I don't remember. He, he It might have been Goldman Sachs, but it, it, he, he used to work for one of those big investment firms. Okay. And he's an old redneck from Georgia, so it's funny hearing a redneck talk about financial stuff sometimes because people think they're stupid. <laughs> and he's really sure. smart. <laughs> sure. So, what are you going to do when you make all your all your money? 
I know oh, we man. talked about um shit. What was it called again? The Earth. Earth? No, Earth Roamer. Well, I'm I'm definitely gonna get me one of those because I don't like paying rent. But like, let, let's say, <laughs> let's say I was able to liquidate only a million. I'd buy mm-hmm. an Earth Roamer and just wait for it to keep going up after that. But I mean, if I had a, like unlimited amounts of funds where I could just well, one of one of the things that I really want to do because I have such good memories of it growing up. Um, I yeah. used to go to this Catholic summer camp when I was a kid up in Northern California. So I kind of yeah. want to build one of those, but like do it uh, myself and Catholic probably do it in Pennsylvania or... somewhere. Huh? A Catholic summer camp or something No, no, else? no. Christian. <laughs> okay. That's, and well, because I went to, it, it, it was actually kind of a messed up story when I was living in Pittsburgh, um, I was going to church and one of my friends from church, she, her church from her neighborhood inside of Pittsburgh was a little bit of a rougher area. I wouldn't say, mm-hmm. well, where her church was, was a little bit rougher area where she lived wasn't, but sure. a lot of drugs, a lot of heroin and stuff in that area. Um, anyway, it was kind of, well, we were taking, she asked me to drive up with her to take these three kids up to a summer camp up North of Pittsburgh, a couple hours or hour and a half, a couple hours North of Pittsburgh. It was really sad. Cause like, her, I think their their dad wasn't in the picture, and their mom just overdosed from heroin like three days before this. And I was like, "Holy shit, this is gonna be like Jeez. a depressing ass car ride." But they right. they were tough kids. Let's put it that way. They seemed fine, or they seemed relatively. Like, I don't know. It was anyway. That's what I would like to do because I have such good memories of it, and I know like having a positive place for kids. And I would. I, if I was obviously, if I was insanely wealthy, I would, I would make it so like anybody could go. I wouldn't charge people money for it or anything like that. Probably, probably start, you know, one of those, um, 401c3s. So at least yep. I wouldn't have to pay taxes on the money that I would, you know, put into that, but I wouldn't make, I wouldn't charge people for it. Maybe make multiple right. of those all around the country. I don't know. That's Interesting. That's one of the dreams that I would want to do about it or do. And is it, is it central like to a religious faith that you're, particular to or is it more just a summer camp uh i would say it's it's more so i would say that christianity gives people a good base for uh, morality and ethics and that's the reason to make it a christian camp but it's more so to give kids a good memory as kids and just to get out of the city too because cities suck and like kids shouldn't be in the city they should be out in the woods in my opinion sure I mean, I, I agree with that sentiment as far as like, you know, being out in the woods and experiencing nature and being able to explore. But what I find interesting is you saying that Christianity gives, uh, you know, a base of ethics and morals to a lot of people. I just was talking to both my brothers. So we have another podcast called the Three Bros Podcast, and we talk a lot about uh, religion, spirituality, as well as politics. And, and one of the things that we were trying to kind of struggle through in one of our debates we were having is whether or not the the basic tenets of Christianity, you know, has whether or not they've helped significantly as far as the Western world is concerned and whether or not we're leaving that behind in the next hundred years. Well, I think both of those are true for sure. I think that the only religion that you're allowed to um, discriminate against is Christianity in the West. If you discriminate against any other, any, well, that's not true in New York city, you're allowed to discriminate against Jews, but anywhere else that's frowned upon. But New York City, they they hate Jews. Well, the the mayor does. I don't know if you saw that with the COVID thing. That was pretty bad. 
with is it that, that he <laughs> I mean yes but is it that he hates Jews or that the Jewish people were actively uh going against the laws that were in place at the time well sure I was I was speaking a little facetious, facetiously oh, gotcha, gotcha. obviously <laughs> but like I I don't I, I hope he doesn't hate Jews but it was pretty discriminatory what they did yeah I mean I, I get that specific sentiment but as far as Christianity being discriminated against, you're saying that it's allowed to be around the rest of the world? Well, it is It is definitely the most discriminated religion in the world, for sure. I mean, anywhere that Islam is, you can't be Christian safely. Uh, okay, I see what you're saying. I see so, what you're saying. So there's that, there's that portion of it. But even in Western world, I mean, you see – can you imagine a Muslim baker – being discriminated against for not wanting to put a certain message on a on a wedding cake, can you imagine that happening? I mean, I feel like I could, but I feel like you disagree with that. I I don't think it would happen, honestly. I think that okay. the the identity politics portion of it, they wouldn't. I think Muslim just it it garners more um, sympathy from the people who would, who would, they, they, they would take their side over somebody. Who, well, and I think it would just wouldn't make news if that did happen. It's only, I was going to say, that's person. probably the bigger factors that it wouldn't even would have hear about radar. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas you do have a plethora of support here, at least in the United States for Christianity, as well as a good amount of, um, I don't want to say discrimination per se, but I mean, I, I can't really think of any other word. Yeah. Discrimination. So I think, when you're talking about that particular issue, it's a hot button topic because you do have so many people that are for and are against in one way, shape or form or another. Um, and obviously it's a big deal here because Christianity is a, a large foundation of what, you know, a, a lot of what our society and the way we've operated to this day have been built upon. So it's, it's a more hot button issue here than it would be anywhere else for sure. Yeah. I mean, our government is based off of it essentially. It it, just, it it says in God we trust, and pretty sure every single founding document at some point, at somewhere in it. So, I mean, and all the founding fathers were all Christians, so, well, maybe not all of them. Yeah, but the founding fathers also advocated for a pretty significant separation of church and state. This is true. The founding fathers also advocated for the Sedition Acts, like, four years after the Revolution. So, they weren't <laughs> perfect. You know what no, those are, right? Sure. The alien, uh, I, the, go the, ahead and explain the alien and sedition acts uh maybe maybe it was like seven or eight years after the revolution uh, it was before the constitution was uh put into place but it, basically right after the right after we won the revolution a bunch of people were like well for, first off i'm sure you know about the the whole army was like we didn't get paid and they're about to have another revolution to overthrow the government and then george washington came out and was like hey stop and then they all went home but uh <laughs> Yeah. Uh, In a nutshell, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they had no money. They were, uh, but basically, people were pissed off at the government because it was a brand new government. They didn't know what they were doing. They overinflated the currency, like hyperinflated the the what were they called the um, continental dollars. They hyperinflated those during the war to pay for the war. So they basically were just screwed. They were they were messing up left and right because they didn't know what they were doing. And um, basically, what was happening was. The same thing during the lead up to the revolution where people were putting in pamphlets, you know, the, um, oh, I can't think of it right now, but Thomas Paine's little uh, pamphlets that he would put out. 
What is that? The Wealth of Nations? Um, no, I don't think that was right. I, you know what I'm talking about. The, the ones that sense. inspired the revolution. Common Sense? Yeah, Common Sense. There you go. That's 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 the most famous one. Um, so basically people were doing the same thing and like trying to stir up trouble. So Congress passed a law that says you're not allowed to question Congress. <laughs> and if you do, you'll get thrown in prison. They're like, what? So, I mean, the founding fathers were not perfect. I mean, that law only stood for like two years and then it got um, thrown out. They realized that it was obviously hypocritical and like insane to to put that in. And that was also before the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. So I guess there's some sort of leeway, but not really. Even even the people who we laud over as like, you know, the people who are who created the best country in the world in theory, uh, they still made some pretty horrendous mistakes. For sure. After some pretty awesome things that I did, you know? Yeah. Well, like you said, nobody's perfect. I just find it fascinating whenever anybody talks about their, their fundamental principles, where it comes from and, and how they've come to that. Cause I know for me, I was raised as a Baptist. Um, but at this point I feel like I've gotten to the point of really trying to explore what my own principles are and then using different situations to try to continue to see whether or not those principles work. Um, and yeah, a lot of it is based out of Christianity, but I feel like you can also take a lot of those different principles from even like fictional characters, you know? I mean, that's what stories are, really. The, this is true. I mean, I know that this is going to sound heretical to some people, but I know that some <laughs> portions of the Bible were probably borrowed or stolen from from previous text. So I know that sure. not everything in there is originally is original, just in in particular, just because of how similar um, it reads to like uh, that one. Um... Well, I'll just talk about the flood, Noah's flood. I mean, there's a lot of different cultures that talk about. Well, like the, uh, um, the Ten Commandments are very similar to uh, that one law that was in, in Iraq. I forget. It wasn't called uh, Iraq. Right is then. that uh, Hammurabi's Code? There you go. Hammurabi's Code, that thing. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, however, the real reason that people have ethics and morality and like doing the right thing is generally speaking better than doing bad is because there is a threat of heaven and hell. That's just like, if there is no, if you don't believe in an afterlife and you don't believe that there is either something good or something bad happening, you know, depending on how you lived your life, why live your life good? I, I, I slightly take issue with that. And I appreciate the fact that we can have a bit of a disagreement. Okay. I think it has more to do with like evolutionarily, like we are, um, creatures that need to belong to a tribe or social creatures and to do bad things to other people eliminates your ability to continue being a social creature and being part of a group. I think that's more impactful than heaven and hell. If I go and steal your shit, you don't, you're probably not going to help me ever in my life. Right. True. So to me, I feel like that has more of a basis. And then on top of that, I think to continue to press the importance of being a good person, you can, uh, well, this is probably going to take be taken poorly, but you can threaten people with hell, or you can reward no, them right threat. with heaven. It is a threat, though. Uh, well, you know, it's funny. Um, when I was driving back from Colorado, uh, you know, I, I stopped in Colorado on my way back from California after the holidays and stuff. And um, anyway, on my drive back, I was uh, the last couple hours because I was kind of struggling to make it. I called Javier. 
Smith and um, me and him were talking about it. And he was like, cause he was, he was starting to do a lot of research into the, uh, the old Norse gods, like, uh, yeah. you know, from the old Viking gods. And yeah. he was saying like, it's very intriguing and like enticing because it's not, that's exactly the words that he used was it's um, Christianity is just a lot of threatening it. it, it and it, it's true. It's very true. I mean, it's, it really is do, do this or bad things will happen to you eventually. Like, <laughs> right. And, and right. that in all reality, I mean, it is a very restrictive way to live and it's a very, it, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's hard for Like I, I get how, why that is so um, attractive to somebody because obviously I, me of all people, I despise people telling me how to live my life. Um, <laughs> you sure do. Dude, I hate when my truck tells me to drive carefully because, you know, there might be ice <laughs> on the road because it's below 30 degrees. My truck does the same thing. And I tell it to fuck off, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I, 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 I could see it from that perspective. However, a lot of the things in the Bible that, God and Jesus told us how to live our lives. It's, it's not, I mean, the things that they tell us to do are not bad for you. Like, and, and they're probably going to lead to you leading a better life. And I'm obviously if you, I'm not obviously, but like if you can really just look back on your own life, cause I've done this with mine and, and look at some of the things that God has told you not to do. And then look at when you've done them and look at the result. I mean, some, yeah. I, you know, I'm not saying that, Every it's perfect, but mm-hmm. a lot of the things that he tells you to do, you probably shouldn't. It tells you not to do. You probably shouldn't be doing anyway, right? I mean, there's also a bunch of stuff in there that's just fucking kooky nonsense. Very true. Like Very you can't true. wear two different types of you know material of clothing. Like that's kind of ridiculous. Do not suffer the witch to live. <laughs> that's in the. I guess Testament. for me. I guess for me, when I look at like Christianity and I look at like the way society operates today and you use what we're talking about, when you talk about XRP and you talk about GameStop, what are you seeing? You're seeing the decentralization of authority, right? Mm -hmm. And I like that same idea in religion. The fact that I can go into religion and say, you know what? I like these things from the Bible. I also like this, this shit from the Norse gods. And I like this shit from Buddhism. And I like, you know what I mean? You can start cobbling together your own philosophy of life and become you know, realistically, like a decentralized version of religion. And I think, I feel like that's where we're heading because not everything in the, you go to any, I shouldn't say any, that's, that's pretty broad, but you go to most people who consider themselves Christians and you could probably point to a few things in the Bible that they're, they're like, ah, eh, that's, yeah, I mean, okay, I don't like that, but there's other good stuff in there. That's what we're doing with everything right now. Like we're taking the best parts of all sorts of different ideas, philosophies, and religions, and hopefully creating our own version of how we live our lives. Generally speaking, there seems to be, you know, don't kill, don't steal, you know, your basic tenets of most religions, but then you can continue to cobble together and take out pieces that you don't necessarily like, eh, this doesn't make sense. I'm not, that's dumb. I'm getting that rid of that, but I'm going to put this in there. So basically what you're saying is, so you know what DeFi is, right? I do not. De- Educate me. DeFi is just decentralized finance. It's just a shortened version okay. of that. Okay. So we should create DRE, decentralized religion. Should we start a movement? Yeah. Well, so it already, my brother, it already, but it's just not called that. 
Right. My my brother I don't and I name either. <laughs> <laughs> my brother has a channel called The Church of You that he's working on right now. And that concept, right, is really appealing to me. So the church of you, at least for me, when you talk about God, what is God to you? Well, it's different for everybody, but for me right now, this the idea of God is the is the best version of myself, is the most caring, is the most giving is the most whatever good things that or or things that I think I should strive for that's my version of god is the best version of me so if i can use different religious texts or different even historical examples i'm a big i've said this before on the three bros podcast i'm a huge fan of teddy roosevelt and living the strenuous life like constantly challenging yourself whether it's physically mentally spiritually constantly challenge yourself because you can become a better person um, those are paths that I'm looking at taking and exploring and building my own idea of what a good person is. That's kind of the path I'm on right now. And yeah, you can call it decentralized religion. Sure. That's, that's a good term for it. I think. Yeah, I think, um, well, what, what initially got me away from religion in the first place was just being born and raised Catholic because it and going to Catholic school my whole life. So mm-hmm. it, when it's forced on you, you don't have a choice in the matter, which uh, listening to your, your guys's old, your, your, your podcast with your brothers, it sounded like it wasn't necessarily forced on you the most part, but it was pretty, it was pressed heavily, right? It was forced in the beginning. Okay. And then when I started to rebel, that's when my dad was like, fine, here, look at this other stuff to kind of prove that his religion was the best religion, yeah, but it yeah. had a backwards effect, unfortunately. Well, we're, we're very similar to them because that's exactly what happened with me too. But yeah. well, not, not to, they didn't um, show me other religions, but it was more like, oh, you don't want to go anymore? Well, I'm not going to fight it. Like, okay, great. <laughs> right. My No, at first my dad was like, fine, you don't believe it? Here, read, you know, this. And he would give me like Buddhists, um, pamphlets and, um, Islam, not, not like the, the, the Torah or any like, like religious specific document, but more like people talking about those religions. Yeah. Yeah. And what it did for me is like, well, wait a minute, there's other shit out there. Let me check some of this other stuff out. So at this point I would consider myself like agnostic but continuing to formulate the fundamental tenets of my life and life philosophy. Yeah. I don't know what I would consider myself. I I would still consider myself a Christian. I just, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm religious fluid. (laughs) Yeah. I think most, (laughs) I think like 80% of the world is. You know, that's a really good term to use. Religious fluid, decentralized religion. I think we're onto some shit here, Kevin. Uh, Well, I appreciate all the time that you spent with me on this podcast. Uh, Hopefully we'll be able to do it again sometime in the future. And we can, I'm sure, I mean, you and I could go for hours. Oh, yeah. I appreciate the time, my guy. Well, I'm I'm available whenever I'm retired. So whenever you want to hit me up, just hit me up. I appreciate it. Thanks again, man. All right.